Hello, and welcome to Through the Spectrum podcast, a mother's journey towards parenting autism. I'm your host and autism mama, Patty Cake. Today, I want to talk about the insurance gymnastics of autism, or any disability really for that matter, the maze of things we have to go through. So Social Security Disability specifically is based on a person's disability and what it can do for a family is get access to not only a financial payment every month for the child to compensate for the fact that you can't work, things like that, um, to help cover any special equipment you may need for your child or special therapies that aren't covered by your insurance, things like that. But it also gives you access to medical, all the medical needs that your child requires. Like I said, I, I still have not accessed that for my children, so I'm not exactly sure how to get it. My thing is, is that I think the public at large assumes that since our children are identified with a special need and that special need is covered under the Disabilities Act, that they are automatically qualified. And I'm here to tell you that that is not the case. (laughs) Different states have different requirements, but the federal level is what I'm speaking to. And the federal level is really, really difficult to get approval from. I have had doctors, therapists, teachers, all writing in support and advocacy for my child to get it in addition to my notes and my interviews and my information given at the time of the um, intake process. And I've never received a positive result. All but one of my results were for not being autistic enough. That was the reason given for the denial. And one of my denials was given for, we made $26 per month too much, which would be a financial reason to get access, not a disability reason to get access. So they denied us because we literally made $26 more than they allowed for. That doesn't even cover one copay. I'm going to kind of jump around in this episode a little bit across all the children that are identified with this disability and how I approached trying to get access to disability and the result. And I'm also going to be speaking about two specific states. We lived in Virginia. I've lived in Virginia Beach the majority of my life. Whenever I got remarried after my divorce and we had twins, we moved to California. So 
there are some transfer related issues to that. And then while we were in California, I'll discuss some of the things that happened there, the services that we had access to, those that we did not qualify for. And then we transferred back to Virginia for several reasons, but mostly because of the children, getting them access to not only some of their medical and financial needs, so to speak, but also access to family. Having access to a village is really, really important. I mean, I told you how when we were here in Virginia and my husband lost his job, we ended up on Medicaid. So Anthony was covered under Medicaid for all of his needs at that time. And how I had applied for disability, but they gave me a denial for not autistic enough. So I just continued with the Medicaid. Uh, The Medicaid covered his primary care physician. It covered his psychiatrist, his psychologist, his occupational therapist, and the medication he was on. The medication that he is on under the FDA causes all kinds of problems sometimes for the family um, because you can only get it filled every 30 days. But some months have 31 or 28. But whenever you get to the end of that bottle, um, you have to get reapproved for the medication. And that might take a day or two sometimes. It's changed now, but back then there, there were times whenever I was sitting there fighting with the pharmacist, like, I need this medication today. He's been out of meds for two days and it needs to be filled. And they're like, well, we're waiting for Medicaid to approve it. Or So there was a lot of hoops in that regard. It, it just caused a lot of dysregulation for my child and a lot of dysfunction for me as a parent. But Anthony never got social security disability. So I never got the financial help or the medical access to all the things he could have accessed. His primary source of resources while in Virginia were through the school, public education, which we are in at Virginia beach has a really robust special education program. I've, been forever grateful for every teacher and therapist that has worked with him through the school system. Occupational therapists, speech therapists, physical therapy, uh, counselors, psychological, um, social workers. Uh, He has had an abundance of people that have worked for his best interest and placement. And I've had a lot that have fought me about that. And I will get into some of those stories later, but for right now, I'm trying to stick to just the medical aspect of the medical component of this. So, and insurance. So Kennedy was born with what's called plagiocephaly and torticollis. Her neck was turned to the right and she looked to the right all the time. We used to kind of jokingly call it Zoolander, like She could never go left. And her head was a little bit misshapen. And it was because of, I was so tiny whenever I was pregnant. Uh, I got pregnant with them. I was 120 pounds and I'm five foot four. So I was really, really small. And I was all baby 
and there were two of them and and Kennedy was right at the pelvic bone and to the to the left side of my body and Sersha was up on the right side up in my ribs I did have a vaginal delivery everything was normal there was no reason for a cesarean but whenever Kennedy was born because of there wasn't enough room in my body she kind of had this like permanent kink in her neck so about five months old we were like look this isn't getting better so we went in and had it examined and the doctor said yes she she definitely has torticollis and plagiocephaly so we qualified automatically under a federal program that got her access to occupational and physical therapy to help with that. And there's also, they had talked about putting a helmet on her to kind of, cause her, you know, when babies are born, their skulls are still soft bone. So there's a chance that during that time it can help the head reshapen a little bit, but her head was not so misshapen that it, was causing any medical problem that just was kind of a little bit not as round as it could be we got the occupational therapy they came to our home did all the intake right there in in the comfort of my home like i did not have to go somewhere and fill out paperwork or pick up paperwork and take it somewhere like it was all done in my home they came in they asked all the questions they needed. They found out about our insurance and our income. and But she qualified automatically under a federal disability code. And it was like the easiest intake I ever had the whole time. And so then the occupational therapist came to our home for every week and worked with her and worked with us and showed us how to help you know, give her the therapy that she needed, showed us where to massage her neck and things like that. But that therapy did take several months. And during that time, my new husband, uh, which is my current husband, was getting out of the military. He was retiring. So we had TRICARE as a primary. And we still have TRICARE today. He was looking at, you know, what is he next steps, you know, for his life once he exited the military. So he decided to go back to school. He went, he took the LSAT and got into law school. And that is what sent us to California. He got into several schools across the country. But his dad was living in Monterey area. We felt like that would be a good place to, because the school was a specific school that would allow him to work during the day and go to school at night, that kind of thing. The girls were 10 months, so they were still in car seats and strollers and cribs and pack and plays and that kind of thing. And the boys were 9, 10, and just turned 12. Uh, my daughter had just graduated high school. She was 18 and she was not coming with us. I drove them across country myself. And that is a whole episode. So I will do that later. <laughs> that was exhausting. When we got to California, I brought the IEP for Anthony, of course. 
and took it straight to the school. And Liam didn't have an IEP yet, but he needed one. And the girls, um, just, just Kennedy had the IFSP. So that transferred with us as well, because it's federal. So we got to California and the school systems in California are set up a little differently than they are in Virginia. In Virginia Beach, it's the whole city is under one grand education plan and all the services fall under that plan. And it's a very large, I mean, there's 450,000 people living in Virginia. So it's Virginia beach. So it's, it's a very large community. It's a, it's a city Um, where we were living in the Monterey area of California and Salinas. There were only like 30,000 people. So it was much smaller. The schools were much smaller. The, the environment was, I feel much better for my children to grow up in, in terms of it slowed down. Time literally slowed down in California for us. Uh, in a lot of ways. Um, it was kind of like living in wonder years. Like we were in this really, you know, sweet little neighborhood with these great people around us. Uh, not that I didn't love my people in Virginia. Um, but the thing we did not understand was the influence of money in California and the way that it runs the school systems. So the area of California that we moved to was a little bit more of an affluent neighborhood. We did not know this when we moved there because we didn't, we'd never lived there before, but the people in our neighborhood were doctors and lawyers and professionals, very uh, small business owners. Um, And we were just retired military um, with my husband going to school, we were using the the GI Bill to finish up his college. And the school district that we were in explained to me that they were not equipped to really handle all the needs of my son's IEP. They read through it and they were like, we don't have all of these things. But I knew under federal regulation that... If they couldn't provide them, they either one had to provide a place he could go to at their expense or meet those requirements. It was a small school district and they were independently funded. They didn't have a lot of federal funding. So anyway, Kennedy's IFSP followed her to California and they contacted me when we arrived and came to our home again to do the intake. They went through all of the assessment to find out where she was, and they started asking me questions about her development. Well, at this time, they were 10 months old, the girls, and I didn't realize, because I was juggling the needs of five different children, and moving across country, I didn't realize how far behind in milestones the girls were. By the time that we got the IFSP fully taken care of and the intake process, 
they were approaching their first birthday and they had not spoken a word. They did not cry when I left the room. Uh, They did not cry for any of their needs, really. I mean, they cried sometimes, but I had already been a mother, so I was on top of it. Like, I would change their diapers on schedule, and I would feed them on schedule. And so they never had a reason to cry um, or to act out in a way that displayed, you know, frustration or anything like that. So they started going through all the things, you know, that the girls were just starting to pull up on, on furniture. They were just crawling really good. Um, and, and so they were like these, they're on like a six month delay. And I was like, what? Like, so that's whenever they initiated an IFSP, not only for Kennedy, but for Sersha. The good thing was, is that because it was a federal program, all of this was covered under disability not social security disability but just under this federal umbrella that your child's not making the milestones so they qualify for this individual family special needs program and they started getting occupational therapy speech therapy uh, fine and gross motor therapy these therapists would come in every single day for an hour each. So they were getting like three hours of therapy a day, each of them. And this went on for the duration we were in California because as they grew, it became more and more apparent that they were further and further behind on development. As the twins got older, we noticed that they still were not making significant progress towards the normal milestones that other children this is this is kind of that was another one of my problems is i was comparing the twins to each other and to their siblings instead of looking out at the general population in terms of comparability factor for development so they would ask me a question and i'd be like oh well this sersha does this but kennedy doesn't or kennedy does this but sersha doesn't and they were like but on the grander scale They should both be doing this because this is where other 15 month old or 18 month old children are at. Like, so as they got bigger and bigger, there's, there is kind of a standard that they compare them to and and it's a mean, I mean, it is a scale, but it would be either they were not meeting the average And so that led us to have to get the girls tested at Stanford uh, Medical Center. And that's where they got their diagnosis that they were, in fact, on the spectrum. Saoirse's diagnosis was much more severe than Kennedy's. Kennedy, I always looked at her like, She's just my happy child. Like Kennedy was, she had two speeds. She was either super happy, which is the majority of the time, always smiling, always laughing, always happy, clapping, whatever. Or she was melting down completely. And usually she was melting down because of a noise had set her off. That was, that was the majority 
of her. So Ken Kennedy had super sensitive hearing. And since they were born, I could not take them into a public restroom because of they would both start freaking out. So I had just, and I didn't see it as an unusual thing at the time because I had already been through this with my other children. So I wasn't noticing that this is not the norm for all parents. I just saw it as, you know, this is my norm. So it was really hard, even though I had already been a parent of a child that was on the spectrum, identifying that these two also had a set of issues that needed to be addressed. And they were completely different, completely different from my oldest child who had been diagnosed on the spectrum. Sersha's was very much more severe. Sersha did not speak for a very long time. Sersha did not express pain. Sersha got into things like my older son had, you know, the cabinets and dumping things out. And, but she had not expressed any emotion really at that point. Um, and that was really hard. But back to the services portion of this, sorry, that was kind of a, an aside, I guess, but just trying to explain like what we were seeing and why services were needed. But whenever we were in California, she, you know, the, the girls got all of these services just, just given to them until they were three. And when they were three, then it became, it, it transitions from federal to state. And when that happens, the amount of financial support that the state can handle is much less. So they would scale back on some of their required therapies or they would have access to less resources within the community. Um, and they compensate that supposedly with the school system. Searsha and Kennedy both ended up in a pre-K program, each at different centers because Kennedy's disabilities and Searsha's were, were so different. Searsha was, Kennedy was considered mildly autistic and Searsha was considered severely autistic. And so Searsha went to a very specific autism school where Kennedy went to a child development center. All the while, Anthony was going to middle school there and at first was okay for the first two, three weeks. And then he started having um, crisis. And in the middle of all of that, Liam's school contacted me because Liam was so far behind when we got him that he needed educational support. And so I had to initiate his IEP through the school. And all of this testing was all going on simultaneously. Um, and 
my husband was working and he was going to school and I was alone for a lot of it. And I wasn't, so like whenever they're having therapy, you have to be present. You can't just drop them off at therapy and go wherever you have to be there. So it prohibited me from being able to go out and find work in the community or put my, and then there's no daycare um, available for children with special needs. So I couldn't put them in a daycare to go out and do things, you know, in the community. I did not know anyone there. So my village shrank significantly. And I was dealing with the same thing again. Doctors, therapists, school districts, IEPs, IFSPs, regional centers, medical centers. I was in appointments all the time, all the time. I will say that the good thing about California was we had what I would consider wraparound services. So they had their educational component during the day at school. And then whenever they came home, they had the regional therapies that came to the home. And those therapists taught me how to help them make milestones and develop I applied again for social security disability there. And the first time I applied, they said the children, Anthony, Sersha, and Kennedy were all three not autistic enough. And then the second time I applied, they said that we made $26 too much to qualify. The children were on Medicaid though. So we didn't make enough. Like we had TRICARE plus Medicaid because TRICARE in California, because we weren't in a military-based area, refused to pay for all of these therapies. They said that since my husband was retired and not active duty, we no longer qualified for special programs for autistic children. And this is where the insurance versus the federal social security disability versus the state Medicaid versus the school versus the therapists all collide. And it is a maze of madness for the parent. Like I have insurance, but either the therapy doesn't take my insurance or my insurance doesn't cover that because we're not active duty. We're retired now, so the insurance changes. Or you don't qualify for the social security disability because your child's not autistic enough, but they're autistic. So then you have to qualify for Medicaid, not on a disability, but on a financial reason. You don't qualify for social security disability for a financial reason. Like it is mind blowing the amount of paperwork I had 
to fill out and the amount of denials I received and the difficulty it was to access what I needed. I just kept trying everything. One of the good things that I did find in California was my first friend who had a child on the spectrum and was the same age as my son, Anthony. And her son was a different, and he was autistic in different ways than Anthony, but they could hang out and understand each other. And I finally had someone that just got it. They just understood all the things that I was going through. And this wonderful, lovely person was kind of in a conundrum because she was an ABA therapist. And so you're not supposed to make friends with the therapists, but it is really, really hard to keep boundaries that way. Because whenever you're in this community, it's really hard to turn a blind eye to another parent. And when these people are in your lives every single day, it's hard not to create a bond. And when you're as alone as I was, it's really hard not to try to find someone to cry on their soul, shoulder and for them to tell you it was going to be okay and that they were going to help you find help. Especially whenever I was walking through it blind. I know that must have seemed like a lot of information. I hope you were able to follow along somewhat. Um, I'm sorry if it was confusing. But please stay with me as I will continue this part of the story later on this week. Thanks for listening.